Welcome to Teaching Artist Podcast, a show dedicated to discussions of teaching art to kids, making art, and how those things overlap and feed each other. I'm Rebecca Potts, your host, a visual arts teaching artist. excited to talk with David T. Miller, whose work is so full of color and texture. He talked about having a dialogue with his work and also encouraging his students to do the same, to listen to the work and what it tells you. David T. Miller has been active in art education since 1980 when he began teaching art at a high school in San Antonio, Texas. After a period of seven years in the classroom, he became an admissions counselor for the Kansas City Art Institute. Art school admissions travel provided a first-hand national perspective of high school and community college art classrooms and their students. This was augmented by regular attendance at national and regional Portfolio Day events, with insight obtained from countless student interviews and portfolio reviews. Miller's initial goal was to return to the classroom energized and informed by the experience of two or three years of admissions travel. In 1998, 11 years and four art colleges later, Kansas City Art Institute, School of the Museum of Fine Arts Boston, San Francisco Art Institute, and the School of Visual Arts in New York City, he returned to the high school classroom at Wissahickon High School in Ambler, Pennsylvania. He currently teaches courses titled Honors Art, Portfolio Art, AP Art, and Ceramics One. He received the Secondary Art Teacher of the Year Award from the Pennsylvania Art Education Association in 2015. Miller's teaching methodology has been referred to in various publications. He believes in student discovery as the primary path to learning. He believes all students are artists and everything can be considered art. One of his primary goals in the classroom is to stay out of students' way. Miller is an active art maker. His work is of a non-representational nature that strives for spontaneity and undirected playfulness. He has exhibited nationally and internationally. He has degrees from Southwest Texas State University and University of the Arts. Let's hear from David. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. So I'm here with David Miller. And do you include the T in there? Because I know there's another David Miller. So David T. Miller. And there's there's something important about that T. There's no period after it. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. If you Google David T. Miller or David Miller, there's like, you know, Joe Smith. There's a lot of us. Right. And I'm from San Antonio. And, you know, if you deal uh, Google David Miller artist San Antonio, you'll still get more. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So that's very important. (laughs) So I like to start just with some background and I like to frame it as you're an artist, but you're also a teacher. Which one kind of came first and how did you come to be both of those things? I didn't set out to do either. And yeah, I mean, I always liked to draw and stuff as a kid and, but I didn't have a very solid, I I had a very weak art experience in school. I didn't take art until my senior year of high school and it was a a complete blow off class. It was a first year teacher and he had a lot of behavior problems. So, and I wasn't one. Mm -hmm. And so I could do whatever he asked us to draw do the night before give it to him and he would give me a 98 or 100 and I had no idea 
what I did right or what I did wrong or, uh, you know, so I had no appreciation for it. Yeah. And I started, I set out to, when I had to go to college, I'm the oldest and the only son of my family. And my mom was dead set about me going to college <laughs> and my dad didn't go to school, but huh. he was a, a musician in the Air Force. He was a trumpet player in the Air Force. Oh, wow. But my mom, you know, you got to go do something. So I picked uh, physical therapy as a major hmm. And I don't know really why I picked that. I liked sports and stuff, but I was never going to be an athlete. And of course, I went off to school and the courses that I was supposed to take for that major, I was completely unprepared and I, I dropped out. I essentially flunked out my freshman first semester. And so the drive, that was at North Texas State, and the drive back to San Antonio was like six hours. And my that was the longest six hours of my life, sitting in the back seat watching my dad glare at me in the rearview mirror as we oh. drove back. It was painful. And um, yeah. so we got back and my mom, but you know you're going to you're going to go to the community college. I was like, okay, whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so at the community college, I bounced around. I was you know it's going to be it was radio, television, film. At one point, I thought it would be a DJ. Another point, I, I've always liked music, but I wasn't good enough to be a music major. I started to take I took a couple art classes, and something was clicking. For the <laughs> first time, I did wasn't watching the clock. You know, yeah. and so then I transferred from San Antonio College to Southwest Texas State University in San Marcos, just south of Austin, and started taking classes. And I was a terrible undergraduate student. Uh, I was more there for the party. But as I got further into it, I couldn't think of what to do major in. And back then, in art, at least there, there was only two choices. You were a commercial artist major or a, an education major. And I hated mm -hmm. school, but I hated deadlines even more. And that's what commercial art sounded like to me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, well, I'll just do the education thing until I get a clue. And yeah. so that actually was the, I tell people that was the best whatever thing I did in my life, maybe, because it gave me an opportunity to learn. And because I was starting out in that area behind everybody around me, like my classmates in college had been the, the art, the cool art kid at their high school, you know, and they were really good and all that good stuff. And all the professors mm -hmm. loved them. But I was so far behind that I had to work hard. And mm -hmm. I got to the point where when I began to teach, I didn't want to do that. I thought I would just do that for a year. And then I discovered that in my mind that everything that they told me to do in art education classes, it was, <laughs> it didn't work for me. Nothing worked. Yeah. And I went through, I was so stoked. I planned out everything. I had like my first nine weeks planned out. So, I mean, all written out and everything. And it went out the window in the first 20 minutes of my, <laughs> my first day. And I went to, back uh, into the storeroom and just cried. Uh, I told the kids to just talk about their summer. <laughs> I'll talk to them later. And I went back and uh, wept like a baby. And I went home at the time and I thought I was going to quit, but I couldn't because I had just got married the for, for the first time and was buying a house and, you know, had too many obligations. Uh, so as I began, I threw everything out and I started doing stuff uh, that was in line with what I did as a college student. And what was awesome was that the students were able to just totally do that. They didn't need to be handheld. They didn't need to be babied. Mm -hmm. They could, you know, I gave them the drawing assignments that we had in, in college and they were able to do it. I'd give them the same exact design things I had in my design class. They were able to do it. So things really began to click and I began to get really passionate about that. And I was the only teacher at a very large high school in Texas. And then I started getting phone calls from art schools to come visit and recruit, which I didn't even know there were such a thing. There was such a thing as an art school. The first school it called was Rhode Island School of Design. Yeah. And I remember answering the phone and I only had like three minutes. And this person with a Northeastern voice says, you know, I'm from, I'm calling you from RISD. And I said, okay, look, I don't know what a RISD is. And I don't have much time here. <laughs> can you, can you hurry it us up? And so she was very polite with me, patient. And then that opened up in, in a, a huge door for me. I, you know, Chicago came mm -hmm. and then Kansas City and 
various schools began to come. And I'm standing in the back of the class feeling I wanted my students to be exposed to all that because I wasn't. Plus, it was exciting. But I also felt pretty robbed that I didn't know about any of that. So mm-hmm. after about seven years, I got an invitation to work at the Kansas City Art Institute, to apply, rather. And that was the, a life changer. And my job was an admission. So I got paid to fly around the United States and go to the best high school art and community college art programs wow. out there. And my boss was a the closest I've ever had to a mentor. She's also the person that brought me to me to Pennsylvania, but she just like, she was a hardcore art ed person. And most people in admissions are not art education oriented. They're recruiters, mm-hmm. right. you know? And so she just wound me up and gave me a credit card and just said, go do what you want to do, which was awesome. So I thought I would just do that for a couple of years. But every time I tried to quit, I would get another offer. I had built up a reputation. Uh-huh. So I, you know, I worked from the Kansas, with, with the Kansas City Art Institute, the San Francisco Art Institute, the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. And I've wound up at FVA in New York where I met my wife. And that was just awesome. But after a while, I wanted to get off the road. And we came to Pennsylvania for me to finish a master's degree in art ed. And we wound up staying here and having a family. And coincidentally, the school where I teach is like maybe a mile away from where we live in a little town called Ambler. And I've been there for, I don't know, 20 some years, I guess. Wow. And so I've had a lot of freedom there. And after grad school, the thing that happened, a very magical thing that happened for me was for the first time in my career, in my life, I was able to read what I called academic material, dealing stuff that dealt with art history, but primarily visual culture and things like that, because that was coming Mm -hmm. into play at the time. And I was able to read that for myself for the first time. I didn't have to write any papers. I didn't have to give any reports. I could just learn for the sake of learning. And I was, you know, I was like 50 years old or late 40s before when that happened. And that was magical because then I, I just I just read everything possible. And I was going I was active in the National Art Education Association and the Pennsylvania mm-hmm. version. And I used to go make myself do presentations and I networked like mm-hmm. crazy, not intentionally, but it just happened to work out that way. And that's how I got here. I mean, you know, it's it's been fun. Yeah. And during that whole time were you still making your own artwork? Well, no, off and uh-huh. on, off and on. Yeah. I really, I had a pretty strong direction at the beginning, like when I was mm-hmm. still teaching in San Antonio, because when I first got my summers off with a paycheck, no matter how little the paycheck was at the time, I still had time off, Yeah, which was, you know, important. I had some good, a good period of time making things that I'm still, I think I'm still proud of. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I, and I didn't make stuff that for very often, I moved, I've moved a whole lot in my life. And I've been married three times. So I've had a lot of, I've, you know, done yeah. a lot of different things. But uh, so when I came here and started working, I just de- felt like I had a really strong feeling like if I'm going to teach art, I should be making art. Mm-hmm. And plus, I was more, my ideas of what art was and could be developed more in my adult years, I guess, and uh, with, because of my exposure and my reading and watching my students. And I have a colleague that uh, his name is Ian e. Williams, who when we were able to hire him was really important because we got to spend a lot of time talking. He was another art teacher. We actually shared a studio for several years, almost four years here in Ambler. Yeah. But at one point he said, you know, he says, dude, <laughs> you need to be making more art because I was making mm-hmm. a few things and he gave, he, uh, gave me reinforcement, you know, because I never had any yeah. audience, never sold any thing huh. and have other art friends so much and so he he pushed me and then uh, I started a website immediately and we talked and talked and talked and I developed the idea that whatever I made I was 
going to put out there, you know, meaning online, yeah. for better or worse. My attitude was nobody's going to see it anyway, so what difference does it make? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and I want to learn more about a website, so what the heck. And I oh. got very compulsive. I guess I'm very compulsive. And so I began to make lots of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, when you're making things, it leads to other things. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how many years ago that was, but ever since I've been, got more obsessive, you know, I just, yeah. and it's great because I'm, I'm hoping to retire in a year and it's opened a lot of doors for me. And yeah. I, I've, I've got, uh, I don't worry about the confidence level that much anymore. I've just accept the, accepted the fact that I'm insecure and being able to have conversations with my friend Ian and other artists that we, I have learned, have met since then, I realized that everybody's in the same, pretty much in the same boat. And so I've kind of settled in to what I do and maybe who I am, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. And putting it out there thinking nobody's going to see this. People are seeing it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's the most... Uh, that's very, very exciting when mm-hmm. somebody, you know, from another country comments on your work and and then you, and then it's, it's even more exciting when the person that's commenting on your work is somebody that you admire. You mm-hmm. admire their work and they're complimenting yours and you're like, wow, you know, they're, yeah. in, Australia, they're in Australia. <laughs> Here yeah. I am an ambler, you know, what's, what's this uh, all about? So the world got really smaller with uh, social media. Yeah. And when I first got into social media, it was just strictly for art and, yeah. Now, I mean, Facebook has changed over the years. It's more far more political. But Instagram, I think, is still mostly art. Yeah. And it's fun. Yeah. I'm like Instagram is my big one now, too. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask when you were traveling a lot, uh, sort of recruiting for art schools, did seeing such a variety of, you know, students, artwork, arts working for different art schools and even just like seeing different places did that impact your own work were you absolutely it impacted that was I consider that to be my true schooling for teach for education Mm -hmm. at least for that period of my life because I could I would go to schools that had nothing you Mm -hmm. know uh, in terms of material things and no budget no nothing and the kids could be very passionate and doing risky wonderful beautiful things Mm -hmm. expressing themselves and you know awesome and then I would go to another school school that had everything. I remember going to visiting a school, though, I won't mention, but I, I walked in and the, the teacher the, or the department chair was walking me from the central office and he says, I just want to warn you in advance that we don't have a whole lot. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, you've got more than a college does. <laughs> you know? uh, they, they just had so much and so much. They had all the equipment, they had all the space, yeah. they had about seven or eight teachers, art teachers. Wow. And then when I started, in, uh, in, you know, I did my presentation and I started visiting with students, uh, they did there wasn't much going on, mm. you know. So in my mind, so yeah, I, I uh, that influenced yeah. everything. And I because I knew at that point during those years, even though I wound up, I wound up doing that longer than I anticipated, I knew that I was going to be back in the classroom. That was my goal. And yeah. so I did that. That was like eleven years of my life. Everywhere I went, I, I was looking for stuff to rip off, you know. And I would tell mm-hmm. teachers or who anybody or students. And the other th- rich thing was uh, portfolio days because you're yeah. meeting all kinds of students and talking with them about their work. And it was very influential. I could not wait to get back in the classroom with all this 
stuff in my mind. Of course, I, there are other things that became hurdles when I did get back in the classroom. But yeah, it was a, it was, that's a very good question because that's that was a huge learning experience for me. Yeah. I got I had perspective, I gained perspective that very few people have. In fact, uh-huh. it's interesting because my colleague, Ian Williams, that works with me, he actually was in uh, admissions for five years, I think, at uh, University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Um, and so when we hired him, I was a department chair at the time. When we hired him, I was like, dude, there's probably no other high school in the United States with two people who have been at admissions who traveled around looking at other schools. Yeah. You know, most teachers, that, that what they see is every day is all they know. And mm-hmm. maybe they go to a district show, maybe they go to a conference, but, you know, it's it's sad that they don't get a chance to go in other people's classrooms and just sit there and observe because you learn a lot. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. That should be like part of professional development somehow. Absolutely. Where you just go hang out. You don't have to go do yeah. a report. You just go hang right. out. And, yeah. you know, if the teacher, you know, just like any other part of life, you either bond with them or you don't. Mm-hmm. And with the kids, same thing, you know, because sometimes some st- teachers were like, yeah, just walk around and talk. And yeah. uh, a lot of my visits, I would be there the entire day and just I would do my little spiel and then he set me up in a room and kids would line up. We would just have conversations. Huh. It was wonderful. Wow. Cool. Ah. And what would you say is your kind of teaching style? <laughs> <laughs> my teaching style. I laugh because I started off first year teacher doing mm-hmm. what my professors, art ed professors told me to do. And the main thing was all about assessment. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting there and it had drawn still lives, still life. And I sat where the students sat with their drawing. And I tried to think of how tall they were. And I would try to get my eyes lined up where their eyes might have been lined up. And I'm looking at their drawing and I'm looking at the still life and I'm grading the drawing. And that was a disaster from the beginning because what was it that I was after? I don't know. I didn't know. You know, a reproduction like a photo. I, I didn't know. So you, you know, if you start looking for mistakes, mm. which I think a lot of grading is, you find them. Yeah. And it's and, and the definition of a mistake is challenging because for most of us in art, that's what the beauty is. It's mm-hmm. the nuance. It's the stuff that is. You know, so I developed into, I got very uh, looser and mm-hmm. I felt guilty because I didn't want the administrators to see me just saying, yeah, that looks like an A. You worked hard. So what do you want? An A? Sure. You got an A. What number? Uh. <laughs> and so now at the end of my career, and I have been like this for the last 20 years since I came back to teaching, I am the most liberal grader there is. Everybody starts off with an A and you really have to go out of your way to, to make that get lower. The only way you can make yeah. it get lower is to not turn something in. Mm-hmm. And fortunately. I'm around, well, like I said, Ian Williams, we, we're philosophically in line, mm-hmm. which is good. So my style is to get out of their way. Yeah. And I, I walk around. I tell stupid bad dad jokes every now and then. <laughs> I'll, you know, I, I say goofy things because that's who I am, I guess. But then we have conversations based on that. And mm-hmm. I'm, I guess what I'm assessing is not the piece. It's, mm-hmm. it's the process and the amount of effort, I guess, that the student put into it or puts into it. Yeah. So that my style is no style <laughs> now. Right. I walk around, I go, hey, hey, what's up? Hey, today's trash day in Ambler. How about that? Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. You missed a spot. And they go, what? Is that supposed to be blue or red? Or what? are you sure you want that? You know, and then we just have conversations about the work. Yeah. When I'm being observed is another story. You know, by the administrator, I'm like doing all the little things I'm supposed to do. And the kids are always, I always warn them because, you know, they might say, Mr. Miller, why are you acting so weird? Just because of, just because the principal's in the room, they're like, shut up, be quiet. <laughs> 
We're going to um, do a do now. <laughs> and we're going to yeah. do an extra ticket. And here's a Padlet. Uh, it's so, it's such a difference teaching high school because I'm now, I'm at the elementary level and you can, you know, with especially with the upper elementary, you can kind of joke around with them, but it's not the same level that you would be able to joke around in high school. Oh, I bet. I can't comprehend yeah. elementary. <laughs> They're adorable though. Oh, I'm, yeah, I, I know. Yeah. That's so they tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that the, like the style of get out of their way, <laughs> yeah. that is that is the style. And there's trying to encourage their creativity and push them a little bit along the way, but kind of letting it be their own ideas and and their own making and letting them fail. Yeah, and whatever failure might be, let them struggle because that's what they remember. If they overcome something mm-hmm. themselves, then they've learned. If I tell them how to draw a shoe, they haven't learned. Right. And there's a lot of teachers. I'm sure you've come across some. There's a lot of teachers out there that's what they do they have a recipe and you follow they show an exemplar Mm -hmm. and this is what the kids are supposed to do and that's how they're graded by how much their how similar their product is to the exemplar exemplar Mm -hmm. and what have they learned you know so that's not my style at all my style is like okay yeah you screwed up how much more time do you need yeah what are you gonna do to change it and it was a there was a very pivotal moment uh in a critique which you know my critiques nowadays are pretty much show and tell which is the way i like it they're not pretentious at all. But there was a, some years ago, there was a young man who had not applied himself regularly. And so we had this thing like first period, I forget what the assignment was. They were painting something like cultural narrative. I don't know what it was because I'm really into that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so people had their pieces set up on easels and we're sitting around in a circle. And this guy looked really burned out and it was first period. And his piece, he, he started talking. He said, um, well, I was impressed that he even brought something in because usually he, he hadn't done that. And he, especially on time. And he says, yeah, I, um, I don't know, man. This is a failure. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you mean? And all the rest of the kids got quiet. He goes, I, I don't know. I've been working on this. And he says, you know, I've been taking risks like you you try to get me to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. He says, I had something go on really good, I thought. He said, 2 o'clock in the morning, I tried something. And it didn't work. Uh, it, ru- it ruined the whole piece. And I'm just sitting there being quiet, watching him talk. And or listening to him talk and watching the other kids in the room. And he was crushed. He, but he was so worn out from being up all night. Uh, uh, and, you know, he was emotionally and physically just exhausted. Yeah. And so I would usually ask the kids, what do you, what grade do you think they deserve? And then ask them to give me a rationale. So I did that. And I said, so what grade, you know, what, what grade do you think he deserves? And they jumped on me like nobody's business. <laughs> they said, he deserves an A, Mr. Miller. And I said, I didn't say I wasn't going to give him an A, but why? Because exactly what you said, taking risk and risks are dangerous. And they, you know, that doesn't always work out. It's, and what he's doing right now is different than anything he's ever done. And it's blah, 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 blah. And I just sat there and let him go, you know? And I said, he had an A the moment he opened his mouth. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that was fun uh, and it was pivotal, mm-hmm. you know, because when they start when they start doing what you ask them to do and thinking like that you ask them to think, yeah. behaving like you ask them to behave, behave uh, you know, a teacher, if you're in that position, you've got to be really careful that you allow that to happen. Yeah. And encourage it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're showing behaviors of an artist. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting. You talked about how some, you know, so many teachers kind of teach to a very specific example. And I keep finding like the more I talk to artists who are still like practicing artists who are teachers, the less I see that. Right. Like so many of us 
when we're really active in our own making, want to encourage that kind of activity in kids. Absolutely. Which is amazing to see. Yeah, you had a question along those lines, I guess, about if there was a new teacher, what kind of tips would I give a new yes. teacher? And yes. I have had student teachers, of course, uh, with various degrees of success. I have a really strong answer to that question. Yes. And that's what I just said. Get out of their way. Mm -hmm. Don't overteach. That's the frustration I've had with many student teachers is that they want to be a teacher and they are not as open to student learning as they should mm -hmm. in my mind because student learning is often student-centered. Most right. of the time it is students, maybe all the time it's student-centered and the teacher is the catalyst. But like I've had student teachers that just would stand over a student, hover over them and not even let them work. And they'd say, oh no, no, your shading is off. You need to hear, give me your pencil. Let me show you how to do this. Uh. And I'm like, you know, I, I calmly call them off to the side and I'm like, just back off, will you? <laughs> let, the, let, the, let the kid do whatever, you know? Yeah. And I had one that he says, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with a student during her lunch. And right off the bat, I had an alarm go off. And I said, what do you mean you're going to meet with her during her lunch? And uh, he says, well, her drawing, she really needs work. And so I'm going to show her how to draw. Hmm. And I said to her, and I said, oh, man, this is more challenging than I think I'm ready for today. But I said, so there's a way to draw? You know the way to draw? And hmm. he was like, well, you know. And he realized right off the bat that I was not dis not agreeing with what he was saying. And <laughs> yeah. I said, you know what? Her way of drawing is her way of drawing. It's a voice. Hmm. She will develop that voice if given an opportunity. So her voice has to be her voice and not your voice. So hmm. I'd appreciate it if you let her eat her lunch because <laughs> that's all the time she has and then let her continue to draw. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but back off. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like sometimes it's the hardest thing is self-control as a teacher and like not jumping in when you notice something that, yeah, like your shading could be better there. But what is what does that even mean? What is better? Right. Uh -huh. And maybe they're not a shader. Yeah. Just holding yourself back. Yeah, and some of the some of my favorite student work is you, you spend all your time trying to convince the kid of its value, mm -hmm. you know, because it doesn't look like a photo. It doesn't look like the other kids work in the class. They're supposed to be the, the strong ones or whatever. But there's something there that's magical and passionate and you're like man can you do five more of these you know can you keep keep this vein going keep this vibe going yeah and they look at you like ah oh, sure mr miller <laughs> but this is really <laughs> weird yeah it's good weird <laughs> yeah well i love the i mean it's it's like a art teacher favorite across the board the dot that little children's book oh yeah but the the idea there the very very minimal sort of simple thing that the teacher does where she just says, you know, see what happens and and just make a mark. And then after the kid does and the kid's kind of like, this is trash. Yeah. She says, sign it for me. And then the next day it's hung up in a frame like the teacher did didn't do a lot there. She didn't right. tell her what color to use or what type of mark to make or, you know, critique the mark after it was made. She just said, do something. The kid did something. And then the teacher said, awesome, this is art. And, and then it like sparked this this idea in the kid that, you know, oh, wow, I maybe I am an artist, actually. Well, that's one of the questions that I, I entertain with high school and I have for years. Mm -hmm. What is art and who decides? It's a really yeah. basic question and a very difficult question. Yeah. It's a multifaceted question, and it depends on who's answering that question. <laughs> but the kids, they, I've been there long enough now to where, you know, kids kind of buy into much of the, what I'm trying to get them to experience. Yeah. They joke around about it, you know, like wabi-sabi. Oh, man, that's so wild. Be sobby. Yeah, well, I broke it. Yeah, well, repair it with gold. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> 
Oh, and I'll say, Mr. It. Miller, what you, and with my grading, it's so funny because several years ago, I always tell them I wish it was pass fail. And I would say, I think you got a fail minus. <laughs> and they were laughing, you know. But this girl t- was sitting in front of the class, and she was a very outgoing young lady. And she was working on something. She held it up. She goes, what do you think, Mr. Miller? Dope or nope? Yeah. And I said, oh, man. Oh, that was the most magical thing I've heard in a long time. We made a T-shirt yeah. that said dope or nope. Mr. Yeah. Miller's grading Mr. Miller's grading s- system or whatever. <laughs> oh, I love that. I had to write that one down. <laughs> so then, of course, something like that it becomes is fodder for deeper conversations. So, mm-hmm. like, what is it dope minus? <laughs> Right. <laughs> dope uh, it's, um, it's, it's nope, but it's getting there, you know? <laughs> yeah. All the grays in between. Yeah. Uh, and kind of like last teaching question, and then I want to get into more of your art and your process and art making. I wanted to ask how you're kind of managing teaching online right now. And, oh. and like what oh, resources hard. have been helpful. Yeah. It's very, very hard. We had yeah. like 30 minutes to get out of the building Oof. and we couldn't even get our stuff. Could get any of our stuff. Oh. I, some students, I saw about three or four students running out of my room. They ran straight. This was awesome. They ran straight to my room to get what they were working on oh. and to get some of their art supplies. And that was what they valued. Yeah. And but most kids right now have nothing mm-hmm. or they have very little art supply in the line of art supplies they have very little time mm-hmm. they might be you know their whole family if and, and sometimes they're staying with one parent or the other if they're yeah. staying with a parent at all and so it's very very challenging and i could not fortunately our principal said she wanted us to in the arts, in the electives, to go easy because these kid, the kids were going to have their hands full with the core classes and APs and all that because mm. those teachers yeah. are trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And so I thought that was awesome that we didn't have the expectations because I wasn't going to be able to meet any expectations, I didn't think. Right. I can't talk to the kids. Uh. Rarely can I talk to them. I can't see them. And they don't have any material. Uh. So those are some serious barriers. Right. We use this program called Schoology. And so I, we communicate like email type of thing, Mm -hmm. which is terrible. So what I did was with the art, my honors and portfolio and AP students, I created this thing called Padlet, which I'd never used before. But I put one together with the help of one of our staff developers. It's really basic. But I I thought, okay, we don't get to talk. I I don't force much in the line of art history or art theory or criticism with my students because that's not what they signed up for. And for the most part, they're not interested in it. And uh, they'd rather be making work, which I understand. But Mm -hmm. that's all I had. And I taught several years ago a class called Art Literature and Ideas with, with a, a co- an English teacher. And it ran two two times. And it was the best class ever. Because yeah. neither one of us agreed on what art was. <laughs> and so we, I was the one who was all well read on the topics, uh, modernism and postmodernism and things like that. So I put mm-hmm. together a reading list and we made podcasts and we did all this other stuff. So I reverted to that. Yeah. And uh, with my, uh, I don't know how many weeks we have, like six maybe of the marking period from when we started this, I was searching all over YouTube and I curated this experience that I'm pretty pleased with that where they, I kind of introduced them to modernism and postmodernism at first. And so then I took them through like the various isms. There was mm-hmm. one video I have on there, what ism and what isn't or <laughs> something like uh-huh. that. And then, uh-huh. you know, they were at first, they're like, oh, why does anybody need this? Blah, 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 blah. But I wanted them to have some sort of perspective. Yeah. And then I was really tickled because I, I asked them to 
respond. What, however, it could be as minimal as they want, or they can wax rhapsodic if they want. <laughs> and so reading the responses was really insightful for me because some of the kids really loved it. And then, so I, as we, I'm not supposed to post in advance. I wasn't, I'm not sure why, but since we're at like the seniors only have about two, one more week or two more weeks left, I went ahead and put the last two topics on there the other day, which is outsider art and then parody. Mm-hmm. And so, and with the parody, I have a Simpsons, there's a Simpsons episode where this Ma and Pa art, which is awesome. And there's a, the SpongeBob one is called The Artist Within or something like that. Mm-hmm. But both of those episodes are really, really fun, entertaining, and good. But what students don't didn't realize whenever I showed them those before was that they're they're really parody. You could be laughing at something and not have any idea what you're laughing at. And what then you find out about Rauschenberg and Motherwell and some of these other people. And then you watch those things again and you go, oh, I see what they're referencing. Yeah. You know? And so that's how I'm finishing. And so I've got that. And then there's another, we we're supposed to have resources for them. So I have another Padlet where I had a blast. I'm still adding. I will probably be adding stuff to that for a long time. And I have stuff on there for my ceramic students, but I'm just, it's like a, a resource that I should have done years ago because I have links all over the creation. Yeah. And I would put, I have a student website, which got sort of supplanted by the Schoology thing. All my, I, all my students in those classes have their own websites where they're supposed to, you know, post their work and uh, respond to prompt questions and things like that. They don't always keep up with it very well. Yeah. But on my website, I had a lot of resources, but this Padlet that I put together is, is superior because you can just scroll down various topics and see all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. And would it be okay to link to that? Absolutely. Okay. So maybe I'll share that one so listeners can go look. uh, And keep in mind, though, if somebody's reading the comments that the students are making, that they are all over the place. And sometimes they're, you know, doing it. They've got three minutes to do this. And I've been pestering them, like, just say something. Would you just post something so I can give you a grade? I got to give you a grade for this. Yeah. I don't want to, but I got to. (laughs) So it's kind of fun. Like when I got to conceptual art, I guess that's the one for this week Mm -hmm. or this past week. I knew that that was going to be uh, a challenge for some folks. And even though I carefully brought them to, up to this point, they, it just it isn't for everybody. <laughs> and uh, and it's interesting to see which kids just still were offended by the concept of a concept being art mm-hmm. and or, or something being really super minimal. And then other students found it extremely liberating. And because they're sometimes not the kid who draws and paints the best in the class, but they have great ideas. And so for them, to see that having great ideas for the first time from hearing it from somebody other than Mr. Miller, they're like, wow, this is so cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's fun. Uh, and then, of course, the outsider art, which is the one that's coming up this week. Maybe it starts, maybe it starts today. I don't tell them that I don't like that term, you know, outsider art. Outside of what? You know? And so already, I think a couple of kids have said um, that have commented like, this isn't really fair. I mean, who, who needs to go to school to be an artist, you know? So I'm like, yeah, keep talking. <laughs> yes. Now, this whole idea of rigor is supposed to be as rigorous as, as it would be if we were sitting in the class under normal conditions. Right. And I'm thinking, uh. I'm thinking what kind of drugs are you folks on? <laughs> this, this can't happen. It's not going to happen. So I feel really paranoid now. Uh. Uh, and then the other thing I was telling my wife the other day, I said, you know, I've got one year left. With my luck, you watch. I'm going to get COVID and die in, Mar- in May. Uh. I won't have my retirement. <laughs> 
like you know i guess as soon as we start doing something it'll you know we'll it'll take over but everybody's just freaking out and the people who have um my, my good friend, I'm, his wife is very com- compromised. She's got cystic fibrosis, and he's my buddy that I teach mm. with. And he doesn't know. He can't go back. He doesn't know what to do. Yeah. I'm waiting to see what they're going to let him do. But he's, he can't quit because he needs our insurance for her. For her. Oh. You know, everything is just complicated right it's now. It's crazy. You know? Yeah. Would you be able to take early retirement, or is that? I uh, know. Uh, we need the money. So yeah. It's all coming yeah. with an almighty dollar. But, right. Oh, it's so tough. So frustrating. It is. It's very tough. Yeah. But art wise, I've had some time to do some work, which is great. Yeah. And it's great. I, I love seeing it. Yeah. I got another batch. I wanted to finish up this week, but I don't think I'm going to now. I got a thing. There's this paper bag show in Australia. I'm going to be in. Oh, cool. That. And then the the show in Ireland, there's a lady over there, Georgie Bergamazzi, I believe is her last name. And she's got a little show with about four or five people. And she included me, which was cool. It's in a little museum there in Limerick, Ireland. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And so, and then there's a there's a thing going on in Paris, outside of Paris. Uh, there's another Facebook friend, uh, Ludovic Duvalier. He's got a gallery now, and his first show is going to include me, awesome. <laughs> which is fun, very very fun. Then there's something going on in uh, Ohio, which is very cool. So, other you know, with that going on, that's awesome. You know, yeah, so many shows coming up or happening. Yeah, I just want to do that. Forget the school stuff. Right. <laughs> Just keep painting and shipping them all over the place. Yeah. So I've been kind of going back and talking to to people that I had already recorded with but hadn't released the episodes yet and asking specifically which Black artists or other artists of color you share with students and if there's any that you think really have an impact on students. And this is not that we can build like a comprehensive list, but just as a way to help me help other teachers who are listening, maybe add to their like mental library of artists, Mm -hmm. especially that so many of us have grown up and gone through school with, you know, a focus on the typical like Western canon of art that doesn't often include these people. White guys, the dead white guy canon of art. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. I say that in front of my students all the time. Uh, I I may have told you before, but I don't really talk about the Van Goghs and Impressionism and all that stuff anymore. Yeah. You know? And the kids, they, they find it on their own. They don't need me to talk about it, and especially with, you know, with social media over the last mm-hmm. 10 years or more. That has opened up a whole avenue for living, breathing artists that are far more important to me than the yeah. white European guys. And so, you know, in class, I refer to them as the dead white European males. And now the kids are used to hearing me say that. But at first, sometimes they'll, like, they'll do a double take. Like, what did he just say what I think he just said? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I mean it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it is funny because when you you sent me the message, I thought, wow, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought, I, I don't, okay, artists of color, I don't know any. Uh, and then I thought, wait a minute, I don't ever think about color. So, I mean, I would do sometimes, but not very often. Not when I'm t- thinking about artists, I think about it in a different context of like when you're watching the news and all the stuff that's going on in the world today, especially in the United States, that's so painful. I think of that all every day. But when I think of fellow artists, I don't often. So I thought, well, wait a minute. There's uh, my good buddy, Mikhail, that I love his posts. I see him all the time, uh, frequently. And so I started writing down names. So I have sort of two groups 
the people that I come, have come in contact with in person mm-hmm. uh, or through social media. And I share all that with my students. And then there's the, you know, the other folks that are the bigger picture, I guess, if you will. Yeah. That, like, you know, right off the bat, I would think of uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, yeah. Faith Ringgold, and Kara Walker, who's maybe yeah. as old as the others. But so if you want, I can go through a little list that I have here and just give you some names. Sure, yeah. People that I think are super, super relevant. And if people aren't looking or uh, are, are not familiar with this, folks, I think they really should look them up because they yeah. are very, very rich work. Yeah. And I'll look for links and, and include links when I share the episode. Okay. Well, the first name yeah. I have is Mikkel Elam, M-I-K-E-L-E-L-A-M. And tell me if I'm going too fast. No, that's great. And Tim, Mc, Tim McFarlane. It's T-I-M-M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-E. Great. Killer work. Really wonderful, beautiful people. Carl Hayward. I don't know him personally, but he's a, a Facebook friend. And, you know, I've communicated with him periodically. I love his work and what he seems to post. Clintel, Carl Hayward is spelled pretty much the way it sounds. C-A-R-L-H-E-Y-W-A-R-D. There's another guy up in New York. I think Carl is in New York too, but Clintel Steed, C-L-I-N-T-E-L-S-T-E-D. I met him a few years ago in a, in a show that I guess we were both in up on the Lower East Side. And he's somebody else introduced me to him. He's a really, really awesome guy. And I started paying attention to his work. And he's <laughs> he's super awesome. Peter Williams is just spelled the way it sounds. Booker Stephen Carpenter. He is actually a he was he might still be the chair of the department at Penn State and our program. But he's also really, really active in the Art Ed Association, and he does a lot of very cool things with uh, like sustainability. Oh, nice! I think ceramics is might be his primary art form, mm-hmm. but he does really cool stuff. And of course, Kahende Wiley, you yeah. sure you probably know about him. Mark Bradford, yeah. Kara Walker, she she yeah, she does really love her stuff. Viola Frey, I don't know if I pronounced her last name right or not, it's, you know, uh, F-R-E-Y, just beautiful ceramics pieces, sculptural mm-hmm. thing. Carrie Mae Weems. Oh, yeah. And then my last one is Carrie James Marshall. Mm-hmm. I just, I went from thinking, I don't know of anybody, to suddenly having 20 names. I thought, oh, I better just stop right. here. <laughs> That's great. I know I've been building, actually putting down on, on paper, on the computer, my list, and it just keeps growing and growing. Which is great. Well, on my school website, I think I mentioned to you before, I have uh, artists' links on the mm-hmm. left side and the sidebar. Sometimes the links go bad and nobody tells me because I don't go check them out every day. Yeah. I would say all the artists that I post for my students to look at fall into this category of living, breathing, mm-hmm. contemporary folks. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have a, a section for the, the old dead guys. Yeah. <laughs> you can type. They, they could go Google that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or hear about them from all of their yeah. other <laughs> teachers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I kind of approach it the same way that I figure, because I also don't have them all year, their classroom teachers do art with them when I'm not with them. Mm-hmm. And I figure the classroom teachers are probably going to gravitate towards those old dead white guys that have like 5 million lesson plans available online. Oh, God, yeah. So I don't yeah. need to talk about them. <laughs> go to dickblick.com and download lesson plans. Right. <laughs> Right. So then the other question I had that's maybe trickier is, do you or how do you, if you have been, create an anti-racist, anti-racist environment in the classroom? Or is it 
do you plan to kind of work to get there? And how would you be like adjusting your curricula or methods? That's a really tough question. Mm -hmm. My classroom, I have never had any friction. I don't have as many students of color as I wish I did. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that as uh, about our, in our department, in our art department, and we don't. I don't really know why that is, and we'd like mm -hmm. to have that change. Is it different from like the whole school community? Yeah, I think so. Huh. I think it is. I think there are fewer students of color, definitely at the higher levels. Mm -hmm. You know, like the I told you, I teach ceramics one, which is an intro class, yeah. and then I have the honors art and portfolio art. An AP, and there aren't very many students of color that that I. I mean, it's not, not like I have none, but it's certainly not a fifty-fifty split by any means. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure why that is. So, as far as my environment goes, it's it's very very open and accepting, and it has been for ever since I came back to teaching. You know, for the last twenty some years. And in the work that the students do is generally the ideas and so forth. I tease and I have prompts, but they generate their own topics pretty much. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I, I'll do a topic that I'll bring on and I plan on doing this again now. It would be something like cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. So I bring that, I've brought that into everything. I've brought that into still life work. Yeah. And the idea, I'm sure I'm going to revisit this one of history. Mm -hmm. Who's history? History, herstory, yeah. you know, who tells the stories. Right now, I think that's real important because some of the conversation I've seen and participated in on social media recently is dealing with like the, the riots in Tulsa mm -hmm. in the early part of last century and Japanese internment camps, mm -hmm. the, the Trail of Tears maybe, but there's a mm -hmm. place not far from where I am, Carlisle Indian School. That's what it was called, the Carlisle mm -hmm. Indian School. And I was having this conversation with Ms. with Mikhail Elam. Like these are not things that we got in school. He went to school up here in Pennsylvania. I went to school primarily in Texas and Mississippi. And I didn't know, I didn't know about Japanese internment camps until I was in college. Mm. You know, uh, and I didn't, and, and you know, I was in Texas, and Tulsa is right up the road, and we had there was no mention whatsoever of the Black Wall Street race riots, right? You know, and all the people that were murdered. That was just it was um, not part of our history. It what we, you know the history was filtered that we had to go study in school, and all this stuff. All the negative American stuff wasn't part of it. Right. And so as I got older and began to encounter these things, and I was just, you know, it was with disbelief at first and then just flabbergasted. And then I got became angry every time I hear this kind of stuff that, you know, it's systematic. Mm -hmm. it's, we're not going to write about this stuff. I mean, my own mm -hmm. father, bless him, uh, I guess. I remember early on, many, many years ago, couldn't understand why there was a, a holiday for Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm like, Dad, you're a church going dude. How can he be such a racist? Yeah. And it didn't, go, it didn't go over very well, but it's, yeah. you know, it's how things – That's so that's something I, I, I address in class. And I did before current times mm -hmm. because I feel that, you know, there's all, all kinds of groups that are left out. Mm -hmm. And then I think that it seems like a lot of the problems that we're facing right now – is that the people who thought that they were in power, even if they've contributed nothing to that, are kind of freaking out that, hey, you know, under the notion of equality, the other is just as important as I am. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the other, that's another topic that I have incorporated many times and will continue to do so. But I don't really know how, I don't have a game plan mm -hmm. yet to 
go in and proactively address this topic. Mm-hmm. I'm also not sure, this might sound funny but or, or weird, but I don't know that I want to, if I go in there and say, okay, today we're going to do artists of color, mm-hmm. that's almost like, I mean, and I will bring it in, but like I, I don't say today we're going to do impressionists. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's kind of going back to the, in a way, in my mind, this idea of creating a group yeah. and assigning people to it. Mm-hmm. Which, like when I said I wasn't sure that I knew artists of color until I sat down and started writing names. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's, oh, yeah, she, oh, yeah, she, okay, yeah. And I don't really want to think that way, but I guess we have to. So I'm really unsure of a lot of things right now. I feel like I've I'm, I'm in a good I've been in a good position because these are topics that I've promoted and investigated with my students for the last twenty some years. Right. But is that enough? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel really strongly right now about the you know Black Lives Matter. I get upset when I see somebody else say, "Yeah, every life matters." No, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. like it does, but it only does once these. Yeah, if all lives matter, we wouldn't be having this discussion about Black lives. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel I I don't know about you, but I feel almost more responsibility or something as a white person to be someone who speaks up in those situations. And like, even if I speak up in a way that's kind of awkward and I'm not really sure if I'm doing it right, just to say something and and not leave it to the black person or, you know, another person of color to like defend and and speak against racism or speak against the. Oh, I agree. In fact, I'm if somebody says something that in my when I'm really worried about going back to school mm-hmm. right now. I'm and yeah, I brought yeah. this up. We had a online office hours meeting last week, and people were talking about their concern about the COVID stuff and how we go. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And I and I finally i was told myself i wasn't going to say anything but then i i failed and i said uh my concern is culturally and politically right now we are in a very terrible spot as a nation so what am i going to do as a teacher and this has nothing to do with covid <laughs> what am i going to do as a teacher when somebody has something that offends me or i think would be insensitive on their face mask, mm-hmm. you know, like say all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, do we need to have that discussion? And I know our community, I know we have parents that don't even agree that there is a virus, Ugh. you know, that's that thinks this is all politically made up to hurt Donald Trump. Right. And so I don't know how to deal with these kids between the politics. When we go back, I'm scared to death. Not so much of the disease, but how to deal with everything. Mm-hmm. So some kid makes a stand. And I brought it up. And my, what I was told, I didn't really like the answer very much. But they said, uh, I mean, it's the only answer she could give, I guess, was like, if it's inappropriate, we'll deal with it. Like we do, like we try to normally. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking right now, there, this idea of appropriate and inappropriate mm-hmm. has become, it is not clear cut. Right. And who is it that gets to decide that? Right. Absolutely. And if it's offending one person or if there's, and if say I get on somebody, I get defensive about some comment that's being made and I have a student of color and I'm very concerned about that student of color. Mm-hmm. A student of color tells me, oh, Mr. Miller, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Yeah. No, it's not okay. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not okay. So I don't, 
I'm afraid that I'm going to go off the deep end mm. at some point, and I don't know what's going to. I hope I got to keep my mouth shut more. But then again, I wonder. You know, maybe not. It's my last year teaching. Maybe I can say whatever I want. I don't yeah, know. go for it. Before <laughs> I have to retire. Yeah, I'll get fired before the COVID gets me. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the challenges that teachers are up against right now are pretty gigantic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say in this new sort of way of teaching, like whether we're in person with masks and all the precautions or whether we're online, like that changes a lot. Because the things I've been thinking about with this idea of like an anti-racist environment are thinking more about the the less overt things, like the microaggressions that I might be doing without even noticing or thinking about it. Yeah. And then also the way that the whole school system is set up against Black and Latinx kids, that it's, yeah. you know, the testing, the suspension rates, all of that stuff. So thinking, like, what can I do to counter that? Right. And it gets frustrating when the response is, well, yeah, the Black percentage is smaller as far as population goes, but as far as infractions go, mm-hmm. it's disproportionate. Yeah. So you know, we have no choice but to behave this way. Well, no, there's got to be a cause for that. Right. I mean, there's they, they were everybody was born as a baby. They come into this world innocent and full of potential. No, I don't think anybody's born evil. So what has contributed to whatever this is, you know, this disproportionate, inappropriate behavior or whatever. And also, I think I find myself thinking this a lot lately. If I was black and... I'm trying to, I'm a teenager, say, I actually wouldn't really matter, but especially as a teenager, and I'm trying to sort out my life and where I fit and what my future potential might be. Mm-hmm. And then every time I turn on the TV, you know, I see a cop with his knee on somebody's neck, oh. somebody begging for their mother because they're, they're dying and that's their last breath. And they're black. They're all black. It's mm-hmm. always black. Right. You know, I hear the president of the United States come on and say the nonsense he says, and it's institutionalized. So I'm like, I don't have a chance. Mm-hmm. You know what? And so what do you do? You there's maybe three things. I guess you try to hold your head down and go with the flow or you give up or you respond violently. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mean violent, violent, but you respond strongly, yeah. you know. So in in none of those are good options. Right. Yeah. So there's, yeah, that's an interesting aspect to like why the behavior statistics and the suspension statistics are what they are. Mm -hmm. The other thing I feel like is, you know, who deems what is inappropriate and teachers looking at the same behavior from a black student versus a white student and calling out the black student. Oh, yeah. Like that's the other thing. It's these biases that kind of go unchecked. So many layers to that issue. And then, of course, there's going to be conversations. I know there's going to be conversations about monuments Uh, because I used to we used to investigate that idea, but it was had nothing to do with the current dialogue with monuments. I'm like, you know, with the way I used to deal with it was, okay, uh, you live in a little town called Bluebell. What's the history of your, your community? They don't know because I've moved around all my life. Whenever I move to a new place, I'm curious to find out what's what was what's the history of that place. Yeah. You know, I live in a little borough called Ambler, and there was this whole thing about a train wreck many years ago, and this lady Mary Ambler who saved people's lives and all this stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. 
This is the, our neighboring community or this borough bluebell. When I looked that up, it used to be uh, back when before carrier pigeons went became extinct. It just used to it used to be called Pigeon Town. Huh. Actually, there was a sign. I saw a sign on the side of the road. It said "formerly known as Pigeon Town." <laughs> What the heck is that? So I Googled it, and apparently the flocks of pigeons back in the old days were so thick that you couldn't even – it looked like it was dark out. Wow. So I, you know, I made up an assignment. I said, okay, we're going to talk about monuments and stuff, and I want you to uh, go into wherever you live, one of the little neighboring communities, try to find out something about it and see if there is somebody that was worthy of a monument mm-hmm. or of, of memory. And so they were like, oh, okay. So that was part of it. And then, of course, pretty quickly, somebody asked, does it have to be real? And I, I was like, well, okay, awesome. That's rich. Let's go there. <laughs> what do you mean by real? And they were like, well, does it have to be, you know, Joe Smith? Or, I mean, I, so I don't know. How would we know? You know, again, going back to history, how do we know what's true and what's not? Somebody mm-hmm. decided this. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And I said, so that's up to you. And I want it to be fun. So what that opened up. And we made cardboard uh, monuments that were like life-size. Oh, wow. So it was so creative. Oh. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, I love that idea. So right now, it would be an awesome time to re- redo our history. You know, bring out the stuff that needs mm-hmm. to be brought out. Yeah. And, you know, some Confederate officer does not deserve a military base or a monument or any of those. Right. So, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to come back to this and talk through these topics that you could keep going forever. Yeah. (laughs) It's been really helpful for me, too, doing these little follow up chats and getting to kind of hear other teachers' perspective. And yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. And in fact, after you've done an interview, you think of things that you might have wanted to say or forgot or whatever. And I'm sure, you know, from your perspective, some things you might have asked. Right. And then, of course, in, in our situation, so much is changing so rapidly or not even changing, but the, the developments are, are so rapid. They're daily right now. So this topic becomes mm-hmm. super rich, far more rich than it was three months ago. Yeah. You know? And could you describe what you make? Describe your artwork a little bit? Well, I actually was, I was afraid that you were going there when you mentioned the book called Dot. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> you have dots in I your- have a lot of dots. <laughs> oh. Again, that's something I didn't set out to do. But it's weird because I look back at my early work and I had dots then too. Huh. Just not the same way. My current work is, it's not about anything. It's heavy texture. Right now, I don't know, for the last year or two, I've been uh, working with the interplay between paint and uh, fabric. Fabric, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the surface design on fabric. And it's sometimes it's wallpaper, but I like upholstery type fabrics best. Yeah. And I repeat them because, you know, I don't have an endless supply. And plus, there's certain things I like. So I'll want to use it again. Mm-hmm. I, have, I work small. Uh, these days, pretty much five by seven, four by five, 12 by 14. I used to work large, but I had no place to put it. And it cost a lot of money to work that way. Yeah. And I hauled it all around the United States where several years ago, I finally loaded it all up and took it to the dump, which was painful, oh. but liberating. It was very yeah. painful as I drove away and I saw a bulldozer hit my pile of 
paintings and one went flying in the air. I almost oh. cried. I was like, my wife was in the car with me and the dump stunk like a dump. And there goes my artwork. You know, it was something that had been so important to me. But it was liberating. And I said, okay, you know, I have photos of it, whatever. Yeah. But the work that I do now, I, I work in batches of like, say, 10, 12 pieces. Mm-hmm. I try to do that per month. And so there's this working with the fabric. It occurred to me that there seems to be three things that can happen for me with the pattern on the fabric. Either I'm working with that fabric pattern or the pattern on the fabric, yeah. or I'm working against it, or I'm ignoring it. Huh. You know, so I think, and I've thought about this a lot, but and maybe it sounds stupid, but I those are for me, those are like pretty much the only three things that can happen. And the dots, I also like lines, I like texture, I love texture. Yeah, I definitely see that. <laughs> yeah, my earlier days I, mm. I used to mix sawdust up with my paint and knife it on. And it just it, it was I loved it. Nice. So I I don't work with sawdust anymore, but the dots I became more and more prevalent and I don't know, people would make comments and I was like I was getting to the point where I think I was getting more comfortable with my own voice, I guess. And my colors are, you know, I'm from South Texas <laughs> and I live in the Northeast and I, uh, my colors are, tend to be bright. I love the pinks and the turquoises and stuff like that a yeah. whole lot. And I have collected, just not intentionally, but I have picked up uh, Wohawken carvings, wood th- uh, carvings and so forth over the years. And I have all over our house and the animals and the little masks and stuff. And there's this sort of, uh, there's this area where I go around every morning, I, I open our, our mini blinds and every evening I close them. It's just a routine. And so I lean over this area where there's a couple hanging plants and I lean over to open the window and I have a couple of those, I have little hawking things everywhere. And one day I was leaning over and my face is usually like two inches away from this one particular mask of a jaguar mm. when I'm opening up the mini blinds. And all of a sudden, I looked at the mask and I was just floored because all those pieces have little dots. And I was like, oh, my God. I called my wife. She's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> I said, hey, yeah, come here. Check it out. There's dots. Oh, geez. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I was wondering. I think I've been influenced by this forever. It's an yeah. influence, I think. Uh, you know? So I'm kind of like digging it. I like it where it's coming from. I don't know where it's going, yeah. but I like that maybe, maybe it's just a fantasy I have, but I, I like that there is some sort of antecedent, cultural antecedent to what mm-hmm. I currently do. Because I, I, my work really isn't about anything. It's not yeah. about texture. It's just something I do. It used to be representational, but over the last however many years, maybe 20, that's something I strive for is to make it not about anything, which is pretty much impossible. I don't have titles. I have a number, a numbering system. Mm-hmm. So it might be like, see, what do I have right now? I'm working on little wood panels now. So it might be SP for small panel. And then I'd have one. And then in parentheses, I would have 520 for the month and the year. Yeah. So I would have one through whatever. And then next month, that one number will change. Right. I can't keep up with it. I mean, it's on my website, you know, but it's, and I don't, whenever something gets sold or traded, I'm terrible about recording that. Yeah. There's been several time somebody wanted something I go to look for it I'm like oh I think I gave that away or sold it (laughs) I don't think I have that anymore and it's interesting because the artists that I follow and that influenced me because of their process or whatever are all abstract artists yeah but there's different types of abstraction of course and uh, like my friend Ian Williams's work is I would say somewhat minimal he'd probably hate me saying that but uh, it's kind of minimal in the application but he always has literary titles Mm. you know which I'm not a title guy at all anymore I used to be 
I used to I did this had this series of frogs and animals that were large, like five feet square. And I used tons of glitter. I was using spray paint, just a little oh. spray paint back in the uh, 80s, early 80s, late 70s. And I would, you know, I was, I, I'm always irritated by politics and whatever's going on. And so I would call the, you know, there was a group of uh, walruses and I called them uh, gentlemen of the jury because that's, mm-hmm. you know, I was making fun of things like that. But then that's gone from my work now. I don't, I don't even go there. I don't title anything. Lately, I've, I have some sticks that have uh, my dots have started to come out. Uh-huh. So uh, <laughs> I have I've had a couple of sticks that have that fell out of a, branches, fell out of a tree in my backyard, and I dried them out and peeled off the bark, primed it and painted it, and drilled holes and put little dowels in it. They're about eighteen inches long, and they have dots. Of course, they have dots on the sticks, but then these, in my mind, the dowels as they come out are like three D dots. Right. I did some others, sort of semi. Recently, that were just found lumber under my house that were like two by threes, and I wrapped them with canvas, primed them, and put some dotted fabric on it, and it painted more dots. So I don't know. I'm branching out from no pun intended, but I am, um, <laughs> you know, getting not away, but I'm trying to do additional work. Yeah, it's just you know, there's no time. Right. I'm looking forward to retirement. I hope that I'm going to be able. My wife and I were planning on retiring at the end of the next school year, and I I have this fantasy. I'm a morning person more than an afternoon or evening person. I have a fantasy that I'm going to be able to get up in the morning, which I'm sure I will. I, th- I think this will be a no-brainer. I'm sure I'll be able to do this. Get my cup of coffee and go make stuff. And make stuff as long as I feel motivated to make stuff. You know, right. I, don't have, I don't have to go to uh, work. I don't have to feel like I got to turn some report in or write some curriculum or, you know, I hope. Yeah. I don't really think we're going to travel much. We won't have any money. But, <laughs> so and that, that's another reason I work small. We don't have any space and we don't have any much money. So, right. I mean, we do have jobs and we, you know, we have, it's, we're very happy about that. But you know, if you've been working, I, I look at online, I look at people's studios and I've visited many studios, but I look at all these artists with all these huge pieces and I'm like, where do you, where do you put all that? Right. And, and if you move, gosh, that's a, I know from experience, it's a pain in the butt to haul all that stuff to another location. Yeah. And not only that, I, when I, I paint thick, I mean, when I'm painting in oil, I, which I haven't done in a couple of years, but my uh, oil, oil paintings, I can go through a $40 tube with like two squirts, you know, and go, oops. Uh, <laughs> no, I need more of this color. Oh, no. Yeah. You know? And it's just, it's one of the things that I don't think people consider that often, the cost of being an artist. Yeah, of the, all the materials. Yeah, I wanted to ask, I guess, a few questions about materials. Where do you find your, your fabrics or wallpaper? papers, sort of those surface patterns? That's a really good question. That started with donations to school. Yeah. Because, you know, when you're an art teacher, everybody in the community thinks that you need their trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you need these. And sometimes, you know, it could be a couple boxes of baby food jars. You go, yeah, I totally need these. Right. Uh, we can totally use these. But a lot of times it's, you know, rusted cans of terrible old house paint that you that's not even water-based. <laughs> and then you finally open it and it's solid anyway. Uh, we had lots of fabric. And and right around in my neighborhood, there was a frame gallery that also did wallpapering stuff. And so she was giving me those those books, you know, the, the wallpaper books that you can get. Yeah. I've got a couple of the from Etsy. I like it better when I find it. And so that's where I get the fabric. And I was painting on canvases. I, I don't I don't stretch my own anymore. I, I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have the patience. I'd rather be painting than constructing, which is why I understand why my kids want to make art and not <laughs> to do other things, my students. So. Yeah. I was I would order like two dozen eight by tens from Dick Blick, mm-hmm. you know the less expensive. When I was working with oil, I got 
had some linens because that seems to be the hip thing that everybody does. Some Belgian linen, you know, I was all cool too. And then my <laughs> my colleague, my friend said, dude, and he works, Ian works on uh, linen a lot. And he goes, why are you working on linen? I said, because I want to be cool too. <laughs> he goes, but you put like three inches of paint on top of it. So what difference does it make? I'm like, oh, good point. <laughs> right. So yeah, I haven't been working on linen after that. I was like, oh, why spend the extra money? Yeah. And then I was really into the four by fives. I love that format, but huh. they, nobody makes them anymore. Nobody anywhere makes a four by five inch stretch canvas anywhere. Hmm. You can get, Fredericks makes these little ones, but they're really thin. They're like the, you know, I don't know, something I don't want. Like the boards or something. Yeah, like the hobby. Well, like you see it at Michael's and sometimes the little ones that go in a little bit of easels. Yeah. But, so they didn't have it anymore. And I tried everywhere. I was Googling all over the place. I ordered, I, I ordered a couple batches. It turned out to be not what I wanted. And there's an art mm-hmm. supply store locally. There's a Dick Blick in, in Philly, but I'm about 20 miles out. But in a, there's an artist craftsman supply, which is an another store that's in Philly and New York and several places, but they opened one up right down the road, not far from where I live. And I would go there a lot because it's a really good little art supply store and the people that work in there are awesome. And I was talking to this guy who's become one of, whose art I love, and this guy named uh, Mikel Elam. And I was talking with him and I said, you know, nobody gets, no, nobody makes these anymore. He goes, well, if you ever worked on the wood panels? I said, actually, no, mm-hmm. but I, I'm interested. I just haven't. And he says, well, we all our wood panels are made by some guy up in Canada. So I'll ask him if he'll make you some four by fives. Uh, and I said, sure. So sure enough, they, the guy made them, but I have to wait for them. So I would order like 24 or whatever my wife would let me order. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then they come and I'm in heaven. You know, I, I, I sand the edges and round it off a bit. Uh, and then I just start slapping stuff on it. And I, li- I like to work in in groups, like 10 or 12, because I like to see them come together yeah. as, as a, not really as a group, but they tend to look like that as a series, you know? Right. So that's how I work with that yeah. stuff. Uh, and I, I, I'm totally entertained with that. For the, I, my, my most recent show, I, somebody said, you, you know, a lot of Several friends have said this. You need to work bigger. You need to work bigger. And I said, well, as soon as you pay for it, I might. <laughs> but so I thought, yeah, well, maybe I will. So I went and got a couple of, uh, you know, 11 by 14 mm-hmm. panels. And what's the next size? 14 by 17, maybe. So I was working on it. And that felt, it felt enormous. <laughs> I thought, like, right. After those little four by five. Yeah. I thought, man, I can't believe I used to work like five and six and seven feet. And uh. this, you know, 14 inches feels like I'm painting a wall. Uh. So I did that. And the other challenge was... When I worked larger, I didn't want it to look different. You know, I wanted yeah. it to be the same vibe, only in a larger format, which was kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I might go back to that a little bit at some point. Yeah, it's always tricky to change scale so dramatically. But it's interesting because that was, I had a question about scale because looking online, it's hard to tell how large they are. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like it. When sometimes when people see them in real life, they're like, what? That's small. Yeah. yeah of course it is. But yeah, I, got, I recently got five by sevens because they couldn't get me the four by fives or mm. I needed them. I couldn't wait. Sometimes it takes like six weeks to get yeah. them. And I, I'm not patient. <laughs> I was like, no, no, I, I need that or else I'm going to go in a different direction and I don't want to go in a different direction mm-hmm. yet. I'm still liking this and I'm not tired of it. And I want to do more. So I, I bought some five by sevens, which is larger, but I'm actually grow, I'm liking the five by seven. Yeah. Uh, my next batch that I'll post will all be five by sevens. Uh, well, there's an interesting curatorial... I'm I'm not sure what to call it, like a space 
on Instagram that's really only on Instagram called Shoebox Space. I don't know if you've seen that at all. I have seen that. Yeah, that I could picture your work there because to me that space makes it feel like like when you see the images, you think, well, this is like a white cube. It's a gallery and you can picture a little little person standing there. But the image, the work is, it fits in a shoebox. It's tiny. That's very cool. I'll have to revisit that. I I had heard of that years ago or whenever and I looked at it, but I forgot all about it. Yeah, your work would be perfect. Yeah. And I also was, it doesn't sound like this was like an intention, but one of the first things I noticed about your work was I do like how it's sort of split up, like on your website, you have it split by year. And just looking at 2020, initially I was like, oh, he's inspired by the virus. Like this work resembles like (laughs) visualizations I've seen of that. I know. I'm getting that Uh, a lot right now. (laughs) Yeah. That's totally unintentional. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, I'm making the coronavirus paintings, yep. which is not at all. Not at all. When I first saw that graphic, I thought, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to be forever linked to the virus. Yeah. Just add some more stripes in there. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I do. I also just love seeing the progression, like the the way it's changed over the years. Yeah, I, I go. I like to do every now and then. I go back and I go through the years just mm-hmm. to see what's going on. Yeah. And I feel like I, you know, I need to spend as much time as possible periodically listening to my what my work has to say back to me because I feel like it's, it's the dialogue with materials, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's something I try to exp- explain to students and get them to engage in because early on when I was first getting into art, I remember college hanging out up at the, in the library in the floor where they had all the oversized art books which was heaven when I was discovering all that but there was a couple of sofas and I'd pull books off and go look at all the big glossy plates this was before the internet of course yeah. but uh, I remember Picasso there seemed to be two types of images or photographs that stood out to me one was him in the studio with tons of stuff goats walking around and you know animals and just stuff everywhere mm-hmm. and he'd be in a pair of shorts with no shirt on smoking a cigarette and I was like wow there's the life. Not the cigarette smoking, but, you know. And then the other photo was one that really stood out to me. He'd be in a big room and there would be like a director's chair, or some sort of chair sitting there with maybe a mug of coffee on the floor. And there'd be a bunch of pieces, not a whole lot of pieces, up on easels in a semicircle. And I, that really, I kept, I was drawn to that type of photo. And I realized to me, what he was doing was having a dialogue with the work he made. And he was, you know, so productive. He made more work than most anybody, but that he was sitting there having a conversation with his work and as I evolved and as I talk with my students I tell them that I think he was he was listening to what they had to say back to him mm-hmm. you know he made something and it's not just an inanimate object it's part of him and there's some sort of dialogue there that he can learn from and it carries him on to the next whatever it is he does and so that's one of the things I like to do it's one of the nice things about having a website is you can go back to previous years and go wow I don't even remember doing this but I kind of like this or wow I was so much more free then (laughs) or I was really minimal then that's awesome I wish I could do that again Uh, yeah I love that idea of having a dialogue with the work and I wanted to ask also about your color choices and how you kind of decide is it really intuitive it depends on what's sitting there on the table for the most part I have flash paint and uh, I love the flash paint I'm I'm a major flash paint uh, person and then I have this Sennelier abstract series 
which is not flat. Uh, it's not matte. It's a glossy, regular, traditional type acrylic paint. So I like that interplay between the matte mm-hmm. and the gloss. But now I, I'm really only, uh, pretty much only exclusively use those two. Yeah. I have other paints sitting around. There's another art supply store called Jerry's Rotorama. Mm-hmm. Not only does it have the coolest name, mm-hmm. you know, I've, they have supplies that are not found at Dick Blick or some of the other places, yeah. like some German paints and Australian paints. And they're fun, but I don't use them as much. And do you add any mediums in? I do. Yeah. I, I actually do. To thicken it up? Yes, I do. Because yeah. it's one way to make it a little cheaper in the long run. Mm-hmm. So when I'm preparing a panel or a canvas, the, that's what I do. I start brushing on this medium. It's a heavy gel from Golden, I think. Yeah. I, uh, I was using maybe Liquitex, but then they were out of it. So I had to buy, you know, I spent a little bit more on the Golden. And I get it on sale whenever I can. Yeah. And I use so much of it now. I buy it by the gallon, which is a lot of money. It's like a hundred bucks. Right. So I knife that on there. And and then I put the a piece of fabric. And then when I go to the color, you know, I decide how much of the fabric to cover up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've also been seeing these little panels. The fabric almost, especially in the series I'm looking at working on right now, it almost looks like little theaters to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's like there might be a rectangle of the fabric, and then I have paint and texture all around it. And of course, I decide whether to put paint on the fabric or not. Most of the time, I do. But I'm really infatuated with the surface design on the fabric. I'm like, no, don't let that keep you from doing what you're doing. Yeah. You know? If you want to put some paint there, put some paint there. So I do that. And I'm seeing these little things like these little theaters. I don't know. Uh-huh. It, I just this past week or so, I've been thinking of that. So I, this is not a, a developed thought. <laughs> yeah. But I love that, that they're like, there's a little thing playing out there on that fabric. Yeah. And do you, I'm looking through some of them. It looks like sometimes maybe you add a little bit of like flat paint on top of the fabric and it and change what's happening there yeah is that right do you do that sometimes yes i do yeah it's so interesting to see that process and then the the painting like adding the texture around the sides of it as well so it becomes like a sculptural object yeah that's something i started doing some years back when i first started making art again because as i was trying to find my way most of my friends that paint like to leave the edges bare mm-hmm. so you could either see the linen or you could see whatever and i did that a few times yeah, but I just, it wasn't me. Yeah. And then, you know, if it drips around the side, I know that's cool. But I was like, no, I'm, I'm wrapping it around. Yeah. And so I had a, a little show. There's an artist out here, Douglas Whitmer, who's an awesome guy, awesome artist and awesome friend. He has you know, a couple of coffee shops and he gave me a, a show some years ago. And so I had a, I took a box of paintings down there. These were like eight by tens, I think. And he and uh, Ian Williams were hanging the show because I'm terrible at hanging my own work. I can hang other people's works, but I'm terrible at doing my own. <sighs> and so they, I set the box down and Douglas goes, wait a minute. He goes, what? What is this? I said, this is my canvases. I mean, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, just a minute. He went and got a camera and he photographed the edges because mm-hmm. the edges are all, you know, painted and different. And yeah. it's just different. I didn't realize that that was different, you know. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. With little, they look spiky, like little oh, yeah, spikes now, coming this off. Work I'm doing now, you, <laughs> yeah. you can actually hurt yourself on my paintings oh, now. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> As I go to pick them up, I'm like, ouch. Those little points are sharp. Yeah, I I am a fan of covering the edges as well. I try to do that sometimes more successfully than others. (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Also, standing them up for storage. Uh, Sometimes just like, well, I don't want to smash this. Right. But whatever. I'm kind of cavalier about the longevity issue. Uh, yeah. And how how long does it, I mean, I guess it's acrylic, so it doesn't take a ton of time, but it probably no, takes it some time to dry. Bit. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. I have been too impatient. 
multiple times <sighs> and then it just goes if i smash something or smear something it just goes another direction yeah <laughs> you just go with it and change it yeah oh, i love that and thinking of like showing your work and selling your work how do you go about that what sort of like opportunities have been the best yeah that's a really good question because i am not good at seeking opportunities i'm i'm just not yeah. and i've always felt like you know i'm not part of the in crowd mm-hmm. <laughs> but i realized i mean with social media social media has done everything for me when i first started putting my work online and there's a i guess it started there's a woman in new york julie torres and she is an angel and her partner ellen they have a gallery up in Hillsdale now. They were in Brooklyn and just she would do pop-up shows mm. back during the, the Bushwick Open Studio times. And yeah. one year, I don't know how it happened, but she invited me to show work. And I was like, you got, you've got the wrong person. Like, you know, we don't even know me. I'm David Miller. <laughs> and, I, and she was like, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I really love your work. Oh. And would you be interested? And then she also reached out to my friend Ian. So we were like, but Ian had already been showing stuff and selling stuff. And I hadn't sold anything in 30 years. Huh. And I uh, wasn't showing anything either. So we went up there. I was intimidated big time, but she opened up a lot of things for me personally and gave me a, more confidence and things have snowballed. I mean, it's not really active, but there's a guy in Ohio, Jeffrey Cortland Jones, that has shown my stuff, I don't know, four or five or maybe even more times. So it kind of comes to me. I, Julie and Ellen have a the, the little gallery they have up there now. It's called Lab Space. And I uh, put work in for their holiday show. And those those boards I was talking about, the two by threes, or the, yeah, two by threes that were about, I don't know, 18 inches long. Hmm. And she needs to sell. I mean, she's a gallery person. Yeah. And, and my prices are, are uh, accessible, which is another conversation, but um, yeah. <laughs> they're not cheap. They're accessible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel strongly about that. They're not inexpensive. They're accessible. Yeah. So she says, yeah. And we were supposed to put one piece in or something like that. And I said, I don't know which one of these four. She said, send me all four of them. And she said, do you think 200 bucks a pop or 225 is, is okay? And I said, nobody's going to want these. And she says, well, are you okay with that? I said, sure, whatever. Uh, so she sold all four of them. Wow. Like immediately. Uh, and uh, I'm like, wow. You know, <laughs> the sticks, she just, she's doing it. They're trying to make more money, you know, trying to survive. Right. And I donated or I sent her three of the stick pieces that I was describing to you earlier with the dowels. Yeah. And two two out of the three of those sold awesome. like quickly, like the first day. Uh, and so that's been really special for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a gallery that just cl- that recently closed here in Ambler. Ambler is only one square mile, so there's not a whole lot going on. It's a great place to live. Yeah. But there was a gallery, the Cellini Gallery, and there's a couple, Lisa and Carl Cellini. I, they, over the last years, they gave me two solo shows, awesome. which was really, really special to be able to see like 120 of my pieces in a room. Yeah, amazing. And the first time, you know, of course I was really intimidated, but like, you know, we sold 20 pieces in a very little time. and uh, But again, the prices aren't high. Yeah. So I, it's important to me to be in people's homes. If they if they like it, yeah. then I want them to have it, yeah. you know? So there, I, I've had that experience. And so I don't really actively seek. I have a couple of things right now that I want to send something to. But I usually, you know, I, I still get crushed if I don't get accepted yeah. <laughs> you know, send something uh. to a show. And then I get that, that the standard rejection letter. Right. And I'm like, okay, never, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't know if... Does that ever go away? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I guess some people are better at acting like they don't care. Yeah. But it, 
it wounds me. Oh, uh, thinking about pricing, do you like if you're selling out really fast, would you raise your prices a little bit or do you want to kind of keep them like keep them at that accessible rate? I would want to keep them accessible. Yeah. Because a lot of the, some of the folks that I'm around, you know, depending on the, the, if they have gallery representation, you know, the work has to be $1,800. Yeah. Because that's what the gallery sells it for. Right. And they can't undercut that, right. which I find early on, I thought, well, it'd be cool to be represented by a gallery. But then I was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> if I if somebody wants me to submit something to some show in Australia to benefit somebody, I don't want nobody anybody telling me I can't do that. Right. You know. Yeah. And then how do you how do you decide on those prices? That's like right? a big question. Oh, I, I lick my finger and I put it in the wind uh. and I'm like well, I have come down. I started off being influenced by others, as always. Yeah. And so I would have pieces that were, you know, eight hundred dollars. Yeah. And I would go home with the same pieces that were eight hundred dollars. And people would talk, you know, I'd be there, like, oh, yeah, these are lovely. These are lovely. Oh, yeah, we might get one. Blah, 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 blah. And nothing ever happened. Right. And then with the Cellini show, I said, no, this is where the, my accessibility concept was born. Yeah. And they were like, your prices are too low. And I'm like, mm. No, I don't care. Yeah. If you want to raise them, go whatever. But I want, I need emotionally to have something sell at that point of my, right. of my life. I need some, I need that reinforcement. And mm -hmm. they're like, okay, well, I think they wound up making more money off of me than they made off of other people because my work was selling. Yeah. You know? So, and now I'm really interested in trying to go, I'd like to get my act together enough, maybe in retirement to go to some of the upscale craft things in the summer, mm -hmm. you know, set up a booth yeah. and sell my dots. Yeah. <laughs> And if nobody buys it, oh well. Yeah, it's it's the experience. Um, oh, nice. Sit out there in the sun and drink a couple beers. Yeah. Watch people walk by. It's worth Share life. your work. Worst thing to do in life. Yeah. Bring a little. Would you be able to bring like some materials and sit there painting? Oh, I'm sure. Or is it too much of a setup? Uh, it depends. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I would hope that I would be busy enough not to have time to do that. But yeah. But no, I think a lot of times when I go to those, I do see the artists working, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's communicates a positive message mm -hmm. plus people that don't know have a clue what you're doing it they enjoy seeing you do it yeah like whenever i've worked in school in front of students which i never did forever but then i started doing it some yeah they they loved huh. it yeah, yeah. Yeah. And do you share your work now? You said you've worked in front of them sometimes, but do you like share photos of your work with kids or talk about it? Yeah, they, they can go to my website. Well, when I'm telling them to have a website, I don't ask them to do anything I don't do. And so I feel like I should be some sort of role model. Right. So, you know, I say, here's my website if you want to look at it. But by the same token, I don't promote it. I don't talk about my work all the time. Very often. <laughs> yeah, I, do. I don't talk about it very often. I talk about my process yeah. periodically, you know, the creative process and the notion mm -hmm. of artist block and all this other stuff. I don't really show my work like, hey, check out what I just did. You know, I've been around teachers that do that. And I'm like, eh, mm -hmm. I think that's a little tacky. So it's not really for self-promotion. You know, it's like we're all artists here. You know, you're just you just happen to be 17. I happen to be 65. Yeah. So what? Yeah, you know? I like to talk about like, I will mention my process, but then also say like, this is how I do it. I know other artists who right. do things differently. And I'm curious how you you do it. Yeah. 
Well, my very first week teaching a long time ago, a kid came up and said, with some pigments and said, so, Mr. Miller, how do you make flesh tone? Mm. <laughs> and I looked up and I said, oh. huh? What do you mean? He said, well, I need to, I said, what, what are you asking me this question? What is this question? She said, well, I need to make flesh color. I said, okay. So I got her green and I got her blue and I stirred it up and it was this really ugly green. <laughs> and I said, that's how I make it. She said, don't, be, no, you're not make, you're, don't make fun of me. I said, I'm not making fun of you. You asked me how I do it. I said, if you look at, of course, this student had really thought about it. She was young. So if you look around the room, do you see a standard flesh tone? Mm -hmm. And she had her eyes open. But yeah, this is how I do it. This is how that person does it, which is another reason why I tell the kids they need to be looking at as much art as possible. Yeah, especially contemporary stuff. Not just right. the, in fact, I'm I'm pretty much removed from the dead white male Europeans. Yeah. You know, it's like look at look at social media, look at people close to your age, and look at contemporary things and see how what they're doing. Then you'll find yourself. Yeah, like there's so many paintings with you know the the skin is purple or red or green or you know, Absolutely. and it's it's an accurate color because of the lighting and like what's you know or it's it's not accurate the way a photo would be but it's accurate to that that feeling and whatever they're trying to say or i'd pull out a book on german expressionists and say here check it out yeah. and they're like that skin is yellow that skin is green that skin is blue yeah right yeah i do some cut like this year before we kind of shut down i was working on a school-wide project of a skin tone mosaic ah. where i was trying to have teach each kid kid in the entire school how to mix their own color and with the older like I think from first grade up we were starting with the primary colors and we could add a little white or a little black if we needed to but having that push and pull between colors and they got so excited about oh look I got look it's tan it's gold it's brown look at this brown no I have a different brown yes yeah, that's a fun thing about young kids yeah everything is a discovery yeah it's so exciting Old, older kids get jaded they're like yeah all yeah, right right yeah you probably <laughs> don't hear the yelling across the classroom about mixing the color gold yeah yeah <laughs> oh I know you mentioned creative block how do you kind of get past creative block well that's a hard one that's the hardest question. Yeah. Uh, and that's something the, con the conversation I have with students, which I try to live by also, is that there was a quote, famous quote from Picasso again, when you can't paint, paint. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense unless you're experiencing creative block. Yeah. And uh, then you're like, yeah, but I don't feel like it. And with young people, I don't, I'm not inspired today. And there's the other quote by Chuck Close, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and get to work. Yeah. So I've used, I've uh, shared those many times and I try to live by that yeah. because there are times and right now it's one of those times where I just need to go, you know, I'm working in the basement. I don't have a studio anymore. Mm. I just need to go get lost in it. Mm -hmm. You know, it is an escape, can be an escape, but it's not going to get done if I don't do it, yeah. you know? So if I want things to get done, I need to work on them. And the other payoff is seeing when I've finished a batch of 10 or 12 pieces and I don't think I can do anything more to them or I want to do anything more to them. And I sit there and I, I photograph them and I look at them and I put them on the wall finally and I go, I'm happy. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm really pleased this is really, you know, it's, yeah. um, it's a really good feeling. And I want to feel, I want that I'm addicted to it. Yeah. I want that sense of accomplishment again. Yeah. So it's like motivation that makes you keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I talked to so many artists that talk about having a daily practice or 
even if it's not daily, like a weekly, every Wednesday, I'm going to do such and such. And like just having that sort of dedication. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like that's, I struggle to have that. <laughs> but I feel like well, it when is you have helpful. a family and a job, it it's oh, makes it a lot harder. It's a lot. You know, you're like, okay, when am I going to squeeze 30 minutes in here? Yeah. So how have you kind of fit it all in? It's crazy. It's uh, whatever. I, I do the best I can. And I always feel like I could do, have done better. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just, you know, I don't have a structure. I don't have a set schedule. I do what I can when I can. Uh, yeah, that's a challenge. It's a big one. Absolutely. And what are you kind of curious about right now? That's a really tough question. I know. I'm curious about how much longer America is going to last. Uh, yeah. That's a very heavy thing for me to say, but mm-hmm. I am sick in my stomach. I, I, not to, I, I can't get away from it at all. Mm-hmm. I can't get away from the news. I can't get away from stuff that I just can't comprehend yeah. and that other people are supporting. I can't mm-hmm. get away from people with artillery marching on the state capitol uh. because they feel like they should be able to go out and infect other folks. Mm-hmm. I can't get over the leadership, uh, a lack thereof that we uh, have right now. Yeah. So I'm curious about what going to happen. Uh, when I was really young in the school and reading history and stuff, I thought, you know, you read about the British Empire, you read about all these other empires that ended. And I remember at that time, this mm-hmm. was like uh, during Vietnam, saying, you know, America isn't going to last forever. I mean, maybe we will. I hope so. So I worry about that, especially now that I have two sons. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have your own kids, you're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Yeah. Oh. You know, so I'm curious, I guess worried is more of the, the answer mm-hmm. to that. I'm curious about how, where things will go. Mm-hmm. I'm not curious about where art will go because art's going to survive or people will make art no matter what. Yeah. So my students right now that are freaking out because of things like the, the virus and not having the prom, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, well, you know, people made art during World War II and during World War One and yeah. during every other conflict people made work i mean Anne frank had a diary uh-huh. and she lived in a wall i think you know uh, i don't know i i'm not curious about i'm not worried about art because art's gonna just continue and it's gonna get cooler and cooler yeah <laughs> so uh, curiosity i don't know where are we going yeah that's all those big worries i know i try to push some of those out of my mind and just mush clay with my fingers yeah. <laughs> well actually, uh, clay is something that i've just started getting back into and i'm really excited uh, and I have stuff mm-hmm. locked up in the school but my I did ceramics in my undergraduate years but I was a hand builder and and I wasn't around I didn't have an opportunity to work with clay for like ever but now that I've been teaching yeah. the, the intro to ceramics I've got those sections and I got over my fear of the wheel and I've gone back to hand building yeah. some stuff but what's ha- what's really a blast right now is to see how my ceramics is being influenced by my painting uh-huh. and, and maybe a little vice versa now so I can't uh, wait to pursue yeah. that I'm curious about where that's going to go. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited. I can't wait to get back in and get some of my, the few things that I've made last this year, bring them home and look at them. Yeah. That could be really cool, especially with how sort of sculptural your paintings are already. I'm excited about that. Yeah. I'm going to have to keep following that. (laughs) Keep me updated. I will. I will. I might get the nerve to, to post a couple on Instagram or something. Yes. Do it. <laughs> All the real potters will get mad at me. <laughs> so there's this poser oh. over. He doesn't even know what he's doing. But I'm used to that. <laughs> oh, thinking of like the flip side of what you're not so good at, what is one of the best compliments you've oh, ever gotten? I was wondering if you were going to ask that question because I saw yeah. that on your list and I thought, oh, I don't know. 
But then I do know, I do know this past fall, Douglas Whitmer, who I've mentioned before, mm-hmm. has, he was having an open studio and a lot of our local art folks from the greater Philadelphia area came because everybody loves Douglas and his work because he's just such a swell guy. But there's a, another artist, Steve Barris, who's actually also an art teacher, by the way. And he's a little bit older than I am, oh. I think, a couple of years. And he's, he's just, I look up to him a lot. I look up to him intellectually mm-hmm. and artistically. And he's got, you know, he's in work. His work is all over the world. And he works at a, he teaches at a very cool school. He says he has the same problems that I have at my school. So I don't know. We don't get to see each other very often, but he was there. And he walked, we were talking in a group of people. And he says, you know, it was just the two, him and I and my wife standing there for a minute. And he says, uh, I really, I really like your work. And I said, huh? <laughs> what were you uh, talking about? I said, oh, yeah, thanks. He goes, no, seriously. I was embarrassed. He says, um, I really like your work. He says, you really own what you do. Uh, and I said, huh? What do you mean? He goes, he says, nobody works like you do. And you do what you do better than anybody that wouldn't work like you or something like that. He says, you own your work. That was the thing that really stood out. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh, thanks, Steve. And I looked over at my wife and she looked back at me. So it was that knowing look like, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. And so we talked about it later. I said, you know, I think that was like a massive compliment I just received. Yeah. So Steve Barris saying that my, I think what he was saying is that my work has a voice and maybe it's unique to me which mm-hmm. pretty pretty darn sweet yeah that's huge i feel like that's the thing artists are constantly looking for what's the voice yeah. like what is what is my thing it's my, it's my yeah. jam <laughs> yeah ah uh, and i agree with him oh thank yeah. you thank you you, you found it <laughs> yeah Okay, this one's just a fun get-to-know-you question. What's your go-to order at your favorite restaurant? Enchiladas Verde. Green enchiladas is, well, first off, Mexican food. People tease me because I can eat Mexican food three times a day. But up, you know, coming from San Antonio up to this part of the country, I was like, oh, no, I'm going to miss out on mm. all my Mexican food. But there's good Mexican uh, food up here now. And so yeah. green enchiladas. You know, my wife likes the mole nice. and I like the verde. So that's, uh, yeah, I just had to mention that because I saw this question and my wife goes, oh, I know what your answer is. Yes. No, that's one that I I always try to get in there because it's I think it's just a fun little like glimpse into your life outside of being an artist, outside of being a teacher. Artists like food. I've I've discovered that. (laughs) I'm not a cook by any means, which frustrates my wife. So but man, I can eat. I can strap on the the feed bag, (laughs) especially with Mexican food. Oh, I love it. And do your kids like Mexican food too? Are they as into it as you are? My sons are from outer space. I don't know where they're from. And they do they do like I have a twenty one year old and a twenty year old. Yeah. And the twenty one year old is just finishing his junior year at Penn State, mm-hmm. which is really a disaster because I mean he's at home doing virtual school. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he's not a senior because he had a really good internship lined up. He was studying to be a, a civil engineer mm-hmm. and he had a really good internship lined up for the summer, but now he's not gonna get to do it, yeah. which is a heartbreak. Uh, and he needs experience. But I'm glad that he didn't graduate this year. Right. You know, hopefully oh. things will be better at the end of next year. My other son is not a student, a traditional student. It's not a college guy. He works at UPS, mm-hmm. the younger one. He's you know, very physical. They, Both of them have made great art, huh. especially the older one. He's made some of my favorite pieces. Actually, some of his work has influ- been a big influence on uh, some of mine, some of my shapes, yeah. some of my oval shapes. One day he had this piece that he had done in like elementary school. It's like on crinkled paper. It's these two oval shapes with a circle around it or uh, a line around it. And I said, Dallas, what's that? His name is Dallas. And I said, what's that? He goes, I don't know. Something I had to do. I said, well, <laughs> what? It's cool. He goes, no, it's not. I said, well, what is it? He goes, oh, I was baloney on a plate. 
I said, baloney on a plate? Are you kidding me? That's great. That's the richest thing I've ever heard in my life. So I've looked at that piece. It's on the side of the refrigerator, of course. And I have made baloney. My friend Ian has teased me. He says, you made a lot of baloney on the plates yourself. I said, yeah, it's because of him. You need another another solo show titled Baloney on a Plate. Baloney on a Plate, yeah. I love it. Yeah, but they they don't make art. They don't, they like food, but they're not really... They're not picky like I am. Yeah. They're they're just they're pretty they're even keeled like their mother. Huh. They're not like I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe makes it easier to only have one <laughs> one person yeah. in the in the house who's Well, I'm glad they they've had each other because we had our children uh, later in life. We mm-hmm. were told that we would not have children. Mm-hmm. And we did various things to try to work around that. And when we moved to Pennsylvania and got completely unemployed, yeah. we we didn't even know <laughs> what was wrong. My wife couldn't understand why she was feeling so bad because uh, there was no chance in our mind that we, she could be pregnant yeah but sure enough uh, i'll tell people that you know that's uh, that was the best way for us to have kids was just to get completely unemployed <laughs> <laughs> and then it was like oh no now right. what? uh yeah that's always how it happens right yeah. when you're when you're kind of like given up or not expecting it and <laughs> yeah but oh. they're they're a joy and mm-hmm. they're, they're awesome they get their bad qualities from me and their good qualities from their mom oh. <laughs> uh. Is there someone who you would want to give a shout out to or thank? The Philadelphia community, like I mentioned, there are some artists that I have, because of social media, I would have never met them probably. I'd met, I would cross paths with them at openings and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that now I have friendships with that I just admire to the max. And now I, I'm more comfortable in with the idea, like I, I was just describing, that they also like my work, that, you know, that they respect me, which is really nice. So I want to list a few of those people. And then there's, of course, uh, a couple of folks that have given me show opportunities. But, you know, my wife, Anne, of course, she's the patient one. And she's, you know, she's supportive. Mm-hmm. Ian White Williams, the guy I work with and had, had a studio with, and I love his work. And he's been, we've spent a lot of time together because we work together and all that. Douglas Whitmer, I mentioned. Stuart Feynman, mm-hmm. lives in the Philadelphia area. Awesome painter, awesome person. Alan Greenberg. Stuart and Alan Greenberg are like best friends. Uh, Tim Schwartz is another wonderful painter. He and Ian Williams are like best friends. And then Mikel Elam, I mentioned the guy, for, the painter from uh, the artist from the Artist Craftsman Art Supply Store. He's been, mm-hmm. I love his work. And I have bought work from him. And several of these people I've tried to, whenever I can, I'll buy their work. Pam yeah. Farrell. There's a woman named Pam Farrell who's just really awesome. Steve Barris, like I just mentioned. James Prez. If you ever, you need to, just, if you don't know James Prez, yeah. you need to find James Prez. He's up in Brooklyn. And there's nobody that does work like James Prez. In my website, I don't know if you've <laughs> looked at the top of my website. I have a thing that says sounds. Yeah. I also the little the music. Yeah, there's a yeah. song I wrote. I, I wrote a it. James Prez song. You know, he said um, he said his mom cried. I was like, is it that bad? And those are like <laughs> artists, local local artist friends I look up to and admire their process and, uh, and everything that they do. And then Julie Torres. Julie Torres is the queen mm-hmm. of the universe and her partner Ellen Lecter. Jeffrey Cortland Jones. I mentioned his work is awesome. He teaches uh, at the college level in Dayton and. He he has shown my work several times. Phil Mellon, who I think you know of, yeah, Phil is has been very supportive. Yeah, he reached out to me to tell me to get in touch with you. That's so so cool. thank you, yeah, Phil. Thank you, Phil. And uh, then, of course, the people that own the gallery that that doesn't exist anymore here in Ambler, Lisa and Carl Cellini. Carl is actually a, a really awesome artist himself. He has a cool studio mm-hmm. around. But yeah, those people are, I'd like to nod my tip my hat to because they are, are very important to me. And they've been very important to me uh, developing a confidence level as an older artist. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and I greatly it. appreciate you reaching out to me. This is, was very special that you've given me this opportunity. Yeah, no, it was great to hear. And yeah, I feel like I'll have to go back and listen a few times and get all the little nuggets of wisdom out of there. (laughs) Final question, where can our listeners find you and connect with you? My website is davidtmillerart.com. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Mm -hmm. And then Instagram. I also put stuff on Facebook, but I don't really do it as often on Facebook anymore. But Instagram, I, I, I generally keep that strictly for art. Yeah. I might rant on Facebook a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I don't talk much on Instagram, which is best. And on my website. Actually, on my website, I keep, that's part of my process. As soon as I finish a batch, I'll photograph them and post them on my website and on Instagram. So Nice. So you keep it really up to date. Yeah, I don't let it back up because if I do, I'll never get it done. Yeah. And on Instagram, you're just David T. Miller. Yeah. I think. Yep. I should have looked that up. <laughs> I just checked it. Oh, good. Okay. It looks like, yep. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Well, thank you so much. I love how David talked about his lack of confidence and not necessarily overcoming it, but realizing that all artists deal with that and just accepting it. He said he settled in to what he does and who he is. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can reach me at Teaching Artist Podcast on Instagram or Teaching Artist Podcast at gmail.com. Who do you want to hear from? Please share your recommendations of teaching artists. And if you loved this episode, please subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, and follow me. It really makes a big difference. Thank you. Thank you.